Yeah, we'll get to jobs in just a second. Uh, we've been going through a series just about who we are, and there's been some uncomfortable parts about it. There's been some very comforting uh, parts about it. Um, maybe for some of you, there's been some healing parts about uh, this series as we've gone through, just looking at the reality uh, that I am a murderer, I am an adulterer, hearing some of these stories that have come out of that when, you know, kids have backtalked and parents have had thoughts, they just say, you know, I just said in that moment, I, I am a murderer, I, 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 I'm not going to, but I am, I'm thinking about it, or somebody else who was out at the beach, you know, was looking around at the beach and said, yep, that's why I shouldn't come to the beach, because I am an adulterer, I know that every time I look around out here, and some of you are, it's getting real uncomfortable in here right now. You guys are real quiet. Either that or some of you always hadn't been here for the end of the series. Uh, but the reality is also that uh, I am saved. I am so loved by God that he sent his one and only son to come out and die on the cross for our sins, so that we might uh, have a loving relationship with, the last, with him for all eternity, that he would uh, bring us in as adopted children, that he has created us and we are his. He has called us by name and we are his. And so uh, in that you know, same line of thinking, we move now this morning to kind of what the series was titled, and that is I Am Essential. Um, in watching that clip there about jobs, uh, I just think about that. The, the idea that someday there would be a computer that would know what you're thinking. <laughs> I don't think Elisa did it, but something right now is going on where every time I open my computer, it's like, I was just thinking the other day I needed new curtains, and why are there curtain ads on here, right? You know, it's just, uh, I don't know, like I said, Lisa didn't do that, but they were on the right path, and they were eventually going to figure out what you were thinking, whether it, I mean, what do they have to do, like put a listening device inside your house? I don't know what they would do to get that. No, it just turns on your lights. It doesn't do anything else. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about Grand Visions or is it takes somebody who has the ability to see beyond what is. Uh, to, to, you know, he's in a room full of programmers, some of the smartest people uh, at doing what they do with computers, but none of them could see what he could see in that moment. He, he looked at this and said, this can't just be something that you write out text. It, it also has to have this and this and this. He went through all these things. A, a gra- somebody who has a grand vision can look beyond whatever has been and dream about what ought to be or what could be if you just put everything together in the right place. They, they can see what's possible where other people can't. And uh, these are the people who, who can imagine things like building a transcontinental railroad. Uh, these are people who can dream up like what the, the Romans did with these amazing public work projects and aqueducts that, you know, what if, you know, the problem is we got water over here, but we really need water over here. How can we possibly get it over there? And somebody had the, the vision, the grand vision of creating an aqueduct and be able to move water from one place to another or to be able to dig out a canal through land, whether it be over in the Middle East or, you know, even here on our own continent. Just the idea of, well, you know, heck, if we can, you know, build a, a canal 10 feet, we can build it. 10 miles or 100 miles if need be. Just You think about the grand visions that could happen or you know, what if you didn't just create an amusement park? What if Walt Disney wasn't just looking to create an amusement park but to create a whole world? I mean, just think about the audacity of that statement. Like, you know, Walt Disney amusement park. A lot of people made amusement parks, but you got a bunch of them. This guy set out to create a whole world. I mean, and really, you get there and you lose all sense of whatever reality or world you lived in, especially whatever financial world you lived in when you <laughs> go into that place. I mean, 
oh, this, is a, this place is really good. It's a good, they, good deal. It's only $50 per person for hamburgers. I mean, it's just, you lose all sense. Or, or, you know, the vision to have an online marketplace where literally everything from A to Z is available. It wasn't just books. It was literally everything you could ever possibly need. Like, you just think about the vision of what it takes to come up with that. Now, it's not just about ideas, because a lot of people have grand ideas. And there are some that fall into the category of what we would say, these are innovative visionaries. Isn't that such a, a good word? Like, if somebody were to look at you and go, wow, you know, you are an innovative visionary. That sounds really good. And in our mind, a lot of us think that we're innovative visionaries. But in reality, there's very few people who are innovative visionaries. Rather, most people are delusional dreamers. <laughs> right? You've known a few. As a matter of fact, you, you've been there a few times. Hoarders are delusional dreamers. Right? They don't want to throw it away because they're going to fix that up. They're going to find a use for it. There's going to be a need for that. They've got this delusional dream that they're going to resurrect this project and they are going to have, I don't know, somewhere between 50 to 300 free time hours and all of the tools and resources to resurrect that car, that boat, that whatever it may be, refinish that furniture. And so the stuff never leaves the garage, always sits in the front yard. And they tell themselves they're an innovative visionary. I'm going to transform that but they never do. They're a delusional dreamer. So what separates a delusional dreamer from an innovative visionary? Uh, it's a combination of human resources and logistics. Now, when I say that, anybody who's in the visionary mindset, right, the last thing on earth you want to have to deal with or think about is human resources and logistics. So when somebody walks in and goes, yeah, but how are we going to do that, right? That's where a lot of times, what the dreamer is going to do is be like, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't care. You just make it happen. Figure it out. You can't. Because you can't just figure it out. You're just never going to have 300 available hours and all the tools and resources to resurrect that bucket of rust out in the yard or that piece of furniture out in the garage to make it what you want it to be. That's not going to happen without human resources. Where are you going to find the time? And logistics. Where are you going to get the materials to fix this? Where are you going to you know, find the stuff that you need for this? If Home Depot doesn't have it, you may be out of luck, right? Um, I'm sure that's out there, though. I need, there's, a, there's a replacement part I need. Yeah, but you haven't looked for it and don't know where it's at. Without the logistics, you're just a delusional dreamer. And when you think about this, God is to say that God is an innovative visionary is to... I don't know. It just, I, I've been looking for the word. It's almost insulting to call God an you know, a, a innovative visionary. He's so far beyond that. I mean, you, you just think about, he doesn't just create like a car. He creates an ecosystem. I mean, just think about how complex an ecosystem is. All we know is that if we mess with it just a little bit, the whole thing falls apart and gets messed up, right? And think about how much detail goes into every animal, every plant, every piece of chemistry, every piece of biology that all goes into making up an ecosystem what it is. Somebody had to think all that up. I mean, I don't care how big you are into science. At some point, you're delusional if you think it all happened by accident. It was carefully thought out. I mean, for me, 
I'm a very simple person, I've told you before. For me, my light bulb went off when I understood that it was a creative idea or the mind of a creator is just simply the fact that we breathe in oxygen, breathe out carbon dioxide, and plants breathe in the carbon dioxide and breathe out the oxygen. That right there blew my mind when I was a kid. Like, that's no accident, right? It's just no accident that something like that could happen. But all that to say, God is amazing what he can do with his dreams and with his visions. And if you think about the vision of this morning, I just want to talk about for a little while the tabernacle in the wilderness that they made. You know, like the tabernacle, what's that? Don't even know what the tabernacle is. Uh, kind of bring you up on, on biblical history. So you got people who are in Egypt, they're slaves under Pharaoh. Moses comes in, says, let my people go. They march out into the desert. Pharaoh's army comes after them. They get to the Red Sea. Uh, they, the Red Sea parts before them. They go through it. The waters close in then on the Egyptians, and now they're safe on the other side to start a new life. Uh, the first place they are led is over to Mount Sinai. The first place they are... It's a little thunder here with this. Yeah, so... The first place they are led is to Mount Sinai. And there on Mount Sinai, that's where God gives them the Ten Commandments. And so it says, this is how you guys are to order yourselves in, uh, for this new community society you're going to make. And then right after that, God lays out a vision for the tabernacle. The tabernacle would be a, a portable temple, if you were, so like a portable church that they could have. As they were moving through the wilderness, he's like, I, I want a place where I can come and commune with you, where people can come uh, into my presence, a place where you can come uh, to be reassured that you, can re- that you will receive my mercy, uh, a place where we can establish a relationship. And this would be a forerunner, uh, sort of a portable version of the temple that would ultimately be built by God's people. So it would be a place where people from all over the world could come and have a relationship with him. God's temple would ultimately become one of what we, would, what we today call one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Okay? So what's so amazing about these, this, the temple is before there was the permanent temple structure, he did this thing in a portable way. And that's no small feat. Okay? Now think about the fact that when I tell you about some of the stuff that went involved in this, there was no Home Depot and there were no power tools. Okay? And there wasn't even any semi-power tools like what the Amish do when they sort of cheat with all their pneumatic products, okay? <laughs> I say that only because every time I use a power tool, I just always go, thank God I'm not Amish. Because, you know, I just, you know, Ham- Hamish and Jedediah sitting there, you know, hewing away at that. That's not for me, right? But I hear they have a lot of uh, air tools that they use to kind of skirt around. Um, sorry if any of y'all are Pennsylvania Dutch. I, I respect your work. I just don't want to have to do it. When I read through the accounts of what God is telling Moses they're going to do, um, I just picture Moses going like, and where are we going to come up with all this stuff, God? We're out in the middle of the desert, okay? We just came out of Egypt. We got nothing. There's no Home Depot. There's no power tools. Here's just some of the things that God wanted this thing to be. Okay, first of all, they're going to build an inner tent uh, with a, uh, a pipe and drape section around it. So if you were with us when we did the town center campus or ever been to a portable church, um, or if you come here sometimes to celebrate recovery, we, we use a lot of pipe and drape. Uh, their pipe and drape, if I, if I have it correctly, was uh, one long piece of curtain that was 150 feet long by 22 and a half feet high. Just let that sink in. Okay, this room right here is about 90 feet wide a little less. And they got 150 feet long of curtain, and our ceiling is, let's see, that is 15, a little bit higher than this ceiling right here. 
That's how big the curtain sides were. And yeah, then you also have to go the, the short ways as well. So we're going to put a pipe and drape around this thing. Uh, we're going we're to make all that out of fine fabric. Uh, then you're going to build this tent in the middle that is uh, 45 feet long, 15 feet high, and 15 feet wide. And you're going to make a tent thing that goes over it. Uh, some of this stuff was made out of goat hair fabric. I don't know what a goat hair piece of fabric is or how many goats it takes to get 45 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet, but that's a lot of goat, right? I mean, that's just a lot of goat, and it's a, I don't know how you make fabric out of their hair, but that's, that's a lot of work out in the desert. You with, you, you with me on this? Um, and then, but see, here's the thing that, that really hit me. When I got to the woodworking part, so Pastor Chris and I, one of the things that really have just bonded us together over the years is woodworking. We both love woodworking. So it's like I can like pass through all of this, you know, the goat hair thing kind of blows my mind. I don't really know what it takes to make the goat hair. But when I start reading about the framework of what they're going to put on this temple, now keep in mind, you're making this thing that's 45 feet long by 15 feet wide by 15 feet high, and it's got to be portable. Like you can break this thing down and move this show on the road whenever God says up, it's time to move, okay? And you don't have modern fasteners, right? Um, you can't just, you know, pound this thing together. You can't glue it together because you've got to be able to disassemble this thing and move it. And it also has to be sturdy enough that it's not going to be breaking in travel. So when we did Portable Church, it took us a lot of time just to figure out how to transport this stuff. We looked for the lightest weight material. Very, very detailed. And now they're having to do all this in the desert without a box truck <laughs> or power tools. And so just picture Moses listening to God as he paints out this vision, right? Because God's looking down at Moses saying, I want this to happen, and you're the guy who's going to make it happen. He says, all right, the framework for the tabernacle. And by the way, God just keeps going on and on and on and on with this stuff, like he's just, you know, moving through everything, and I'm just picturing his head spinning. All right, so the framework for the tabernacle now, here, we're going to construct this out of acacia wood. If you don't know what acacia wood is, you've probably seen it at craft fairs or in some high-end stores. It's this really beautiful, ornate, um, pretty wood grains of deep, dark uh, chocolate browns and the very light uh, tones as well. It's really pretty. It says you're going to construct the frame out of acacia wood. Each frame must be 15 feet high and 27 inches wide. All right, there's going to be two pegs under each frame. So we're going to put some dowel pins on the bottom. Uh, it says, and you've got to make every single frame identical. Okay. Um, how, many, how many was that? 20 of these frames. Uh, okay, just, we need 20 frames that are identical. Yeah, that's for the south side. Um, all right. Then you're going to have 40 silver bases, two under each frame, with pegs fitting securely in the bases. So you're going to have these wood panels that are going to have these dowel pins that are going to sit down into a silver base underneath it. Uh, if you've ever tried to do dowel pins, it's really hard to get stuff to line up. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Um, he says, all right, that's just for the south side. Uh, make six frames for the rear and then for the west side, um, and you'll need two additional frames to reinforce the, the, the corners of the tabernacle. Uh, all these frames are going to be matched firmly at the bottom and matched perfectly at the top with a single ring forming the, the, the corner unit. Make both sides of the corner units the same way. There's going to be eight frames at the rear of the tabernacle. It'll be 16 sets of silver bases, two under each. Have I lost any of y'all yet? Yeah. I mean, I just picture like God's like, oh yeah, it's going to be great. All right, I was, just, I was thinking this up last night. Here's what we're going to do. All right, and he just keeps going on and on and on with this, and I'm like, Right about the time he said, you know, we're going to have 20 of these frames that are identical. I'm like, all right, 20 frames are identical. All right, that's just for the south side. 
oh, that's just one wall we're talking about here. And he just keeps on going on. Okay, and then we're going to make some crossbars. We're going to go across. Uh, we need five crossbars for the north side. We need five for the south side. Also make another five for the rear of the, of the tabernacle, which is going to face west. Over, we got the middle crossbars. It'll be halfway up. It's going to run all the way through the end of it. And we're going to over, and then, then we're going we're to overlay all of these things with gold. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to like, put like a, like a gold veneer right across the top of it, you know, really nice gold wallpaper. It'll be really nice. You know, look at anything Donald Trump's ever done. It's very similar to that. Um, make gold rings for the crossbars to overlay all those crossbars as well. So you're going to make some poles, and you're going to put, you know, gold lay over top of that as well. It's going to be beautiful. And I'm just picturing Moses. Now, what you have, basically what this is, is these are panels. These are thick panels that you have to sort of put a, a, a mortise joint on. You have basically a, a tongue and groove type of thing that where the thing can click lock. You ever done like click lock flooring? Picture trying to hand make click lock walls that were, how big were these things? 15 feet high, just over two feet wide. And these things are gonna click lock together such that you can assemble them. And you also gotta remember now with humidity um, and dryness, wood tends to expand and contract. That's just another fun piece right there, okay? So you've got to do all of this stuff, all of these panels, and they have to be exact, identical. And what do you have to use for this? Well, you don't have a sawmill, and you don't have a Home Depot, you don't have any power tools. There's a forest somewhere, go cut the trees down and make this stuff. Just let that sink in, what God's asking them to do. Now, when God ever asks me to do something like this, whether it be us as a church or even as an individual, I look at this stuff and I get overwhelmed. I just absolutely get overwhelmed with, with what God's laid upon us to do. You know, whether this be a trying time in your family and you just ask yourself, how on earth are we going to make it through the next 18 years as parents? How on earth are we going to make it through the next two years with you away on deployment? How on earth are we going to make it through the rest of our life now that they're gone? You, know, you have these moments where there's these big things that are laid out before you. you have, how on earth am I going to do this? And, and there are times where I look at that clip from Steve Jobs. I mean, and I'll say, I'm, I'm sitting up here using an iPad. <laughs> I have a phone. It's an iPhone. All the video work you see here are all you know, descendants of what that guy put in motion, you know, all Apple stuff. But I picture God to be sort of like that in my life sometimes, where he just yells at me and says, make it happen, do it, and then just storms out of the room. That's kind of how I feel like my experience sometimes is with God, where he's like, you know, that's right, yeah, here's what I want you to do, just, just go get it done. I'm like, what, what, what gives, man? I don't know how to do all this stuff. And after God lays out this whole vision of everything he wants, we get down to Exodus 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, thank God he didn't stop after just laying out all that vision stuff. And God says, I have chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, like I can tell you exactly where to find this guy. Here's his address. <laughs> Go over to the Judah section, look for the Her family, get down to Yuri, look for his boy. That's who you want, the Bazel one. He says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills, 
to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to be able to cut stones and set stones, to work in wood and to engage all kinds of crafts. Moreover, and on top of that, I've also pointed Holiab, the son of Asmalak. If I'm not pronouncing these correctly, none of us are ever going to know. Because some of you are like, wow, you're really good with those names. I'm making stuff up, all right? <laughs> Honest truth. God knows who I'm talking about, and so do you. He's over in the tribe of Dan, so look in the Dan section for him. He's going to help him. He's going to be his assistant. I've given the ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, the atonement cover on top of that, all the furnishings for the tent, all the table and its articles, all the pure gold lampstand, all the accessories, all the altar of incense, the burnt offerings, the utensils, the basin, the woven garments, the sacred garments for the, the, the Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons, all the ones that serve as priests, anointing oil, the fragrance, the, uh, the incense, everything there that I've commanded you to make. I've given you the workers. That's a great moment. <laughs> you know, because I'm sure Moses' head was spinning when he was thinking, how on earth do you expect me to get all of this done? Thank God, God is not like Steve Jobs, who just says, make it happen, and then storms out of the room. He says, here's what I want. Now I'm going to fill you with the Spirit to have every worker you need for this. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's situations like this and stories like this we need to have in mind when you get a call from somebody who says, hey, with Eric King Ida coming through, can you help? What? In, in three, four days time? I mean, this was like a Thursday afternoon when this came in. And it's like, okay, yeah, um, in three days' time, can you get a box truck, fill it up, and drive it down? Where are we gonna, how are we going to fill it? Who's going to fill it? You know, those are sort of the moments where you just feel like as if, I tell you, as a pastor, when that first came in, my first thought was feeling the overwhelming moment of sort of the Steve Jobs God coming down and going, you know I'm convicting you, and you've got to do this. And, and you're disobedient if you don't. So get it done! And, and there's a moment where you feel like, how on earth is this going to happen? But here's the principle you've got to remember. If God's called you to it, he's going to provide for it. If God's called you to it, he's going to provide for it. He's not going to just tell you to make it happen and then walk out on you. He says, I'm going to give you the skilled workers that you need and the resources for it. I am beyond an innovative visionary. Don't ever confuse me with a delusional dreamer who comes up with some grand idea that I've put before you but doesn't have a, any idea in the world of how it's ever going to happen. I'm not just going to dump that on you. Rather, I'm going to give you what you need to make it happen. So I'm going to provide you with the skilled workers. Now, the other thing in this passage that, that stood out is this is the first time we see this phrase anywhere in the Bible where he says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, in the New Testament, we see a lot of this filling with the Spirit. In the Old Testament, this is the first time we ever see it happen. We only see it happen a few times in the Old Testament where, where it's talked about this. This is the very first time we see anybody who is literally filled with the Spirit of God. And it goes on to talk about how filled them with the Spirit to be able to cut out all these things and make all these things. And I've got to tell you, I really loved this passage because whenever, I don't know, if you grew up in church, maybe you've done this. I know I did this when I was in seminary. Uh, who here has ever taken a spiritual gift survey? Anybody raise your hand? All right, so look around the room. Those are the people who grew up in church, right? (laughs) 
Just saying. All right, because the idea was you'd go to church and they'd say, all right, you know, we need to mobilize everybody into working and God's given everybody a spiritual gift and all of you who, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got a spiritual gift. So we're going to look over in 1 Corinthians chapter, I don't know why I go into Southern Preacher talk. Uh, we're going to go over 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to go over Romans 12. We're going to look at the spiritual gifts. You've got to figure out which one of these gifts you have because this is a complete list of gifts that God ever gives. So you've got to have one of them. And so you read through them. And like, you know, in, over in Romans 12, it says, for each of us, this is Romans 12, uh, verse 4. Uh, for each of us, just as one body has many members, these members do not all the same function. In Christ, though there are many, we form one body. Each member uh, belongs to all the others. And he says, and we all have different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. If your gift is prophesying, well then by all means, prophesy. Uh, wasn't a hard one. Uh, with the grace that he's given us. Uh, if your gift is serving, then serve, right? If your gift is teaching, then teach. If your gift is encouragement, then Encourage, right? If your gift is giving, then give. Yeah. Uh, if your gift is to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to, to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Isn't that a funny one? <laughs> show mercy, do it cheerfully, because sometimes people are hurting. So you look at all these things like prophesying and serving and giving and teaching and encouragement and, and mercy. And, and whenever I look over this list, I always think to myself, like, yeah, these things all sound like churchy things that church people do. And some of the struggle I sometimes had with the spiritual gifts is they all just seem really spiritual, <laughs> right? <laughs> what I really loved about this list over in Exodus is the list just seemed kind of regular. Over in Exodus, he talked about how I'm going to give you the ability to do some woodworking, uh, stone cutters, metalworking. Uh, weaving fabric, sewing fabric, you know, all kinds of, you know, cool stuff, right? <laughs> stuff I could like kind of wrap my head around. I mean, you know, it's like I, I've done all of those except for the weaving fabric. I've never done the weaving fabric. And I'll tell you this, a sewing machine's a power tool, right? It is. Don't, don't ever tell... Even though it's a power tool that may come in teal with flowers on it, it's a power tool. All right, I'm just telling you, I've, I've, I've done some sewing, and I always people, some friends of mine make fun of me for sewing, but it is a power tool. If you want to sew some Velcro onto a strap so you can tie your gear down, man up and do it. Don't give it to your wife or somebody else and go, here, can you sew this? I don't know how. It's a power tool, people. Sorry. had to say that because I do own a sewing machine. <laughs> uh, I, I, so I just love the fact that it sort of expands our idea and concept of spiritual gifts beyond prophesying or healing, you know, or speaking different languages or whatever it may be. Um, I mean, this is like real practical stuff because so often I think to myself, you know, somebody, you come into church and you're like, well, I don't know how to do any of that spiritually stuff. I just... I'm not really good at all the, the, the church stuff. And so with that mentality, you think there's nothing God could ever use you to do. Well, what, what can you do? What, what have you been gifted to do? Well, I got a lot of skills, but they don't seem like they're anything spiritual skills. Well, you know, the guy who was really good at hewing out acacia wood did, probably didn't think that it was a spiritual calling either until he took what it is that he was gifted to do and put it in God's hand and realized that God had empowered him to do that, not just for his own purposes, not just to make money for himself, but ultimately to be used by God to do something for him and for his people. 
And there's stuff all around this building that gets done. There's stuff all happen. I mean, just you know, the 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 the, the supplies that were delivered down there. There was no prophesying or teaching. None of that happened on there. It was people who loaded up a truck, who went shopping, who, who drove truck. That's how it happened. It, it wasn't a lot of these things we think of are these so spiritual things. Um, so he, he tells all the stuff that he wants to get done, and he, he says, I've done that. Um, so he says, I've given ability to all of the workers. He says, I've given the ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. I'm going to build all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. Uh, I'm often asked where we came up with the name for Essential Church, and there's multiple different things that happened along the way that led to the name Essential Church. Uh, one of them, of course, was when Jesus was asked, what's the most essential thing in life? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And sort of out of that, we just you know, simply summarize that as you know, talking about how the most this life is about nothing more than having a loving relationship with God that you can enjoy for all eternity. That's you know, right out of that. But one of the other streams or avenues that led to this name was a passage over in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where it says, for God has arranged uh, the parts of the church, every person in the church, just as he wants them to be. Uh, in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, in other words, he's placed you in this church just where he wants you to be. In other words, if God has brought you to this church, you have an essential role to play at this church. In other words, there are skills that you have that God needs here, which is why he brought you here. And you thought it was because your friends came here, you thought it was because it was close, you thought it was because uh, you liked the worship music or there's something else about it. God had a purpose and a plan for bringing you here far beyond all of that. There was something about you that he needed here for you to do. And so when he's laid out the vision of everything I need, there's something here for you. God never had an intention that you would just come in here and passively learn, passively listen, and then walk out the doors. He always said, you're here for a purpose. I have a use for you. And in your mind, you might be thinking to yourself, but what can I do? I don't think that I have any skills that God could possibly use. If he can use a stone cutter, then he can use you. But there was another piece to this story that also stood out to me. Uh, so we start in Exodus 25, where God lays out this grand vision. And then you get to Exodus 35, where he says, listen, I've filled with the Spirit, uh, the very people that, that need my Spirit to be able to, to have the power and the artistic ability to do this and be able to have the vision to be able to come up with this stuff and the skills for it. Um, and then and I've placed them right there in your midst. But then you go over to chapter 36, there was another thing that, that stood out in this passage or in this section. So, so then Moses went out and he summoned, summoned uh, Bezalel and uh, Oliab, those two guys he had talked about. So he went and found those two guys, tracked them down as well as every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. And he goes on to tell a bunch of other stuff. Uh, the key element in there is that where it says, and we're willing to do the work. In other words, I would dare say there was probably a lot of other skilled people that didn't do a darn thing. And what I get out of this is God is not looking to use, and God never uses the most skilled, the most intelligent, the most artistic, the most creative, the most perfect human specimen there ever was to accomplish his purposes. He uses the willing. He uses the willing. Let me break that down for you in a way that I hope doesn't come across offensive, 
So if you serve, no offense. If you don't serve, this is for you. <laughs> Chris knows where I'm going with this. Um, the folks who work here at Essential, our greeting team, are not the most skilled people in our church. All right? There are other people in this church who have much better social skills, who are much more outgoing, who are much more personable and much more relatable than the people who are out there right now, who greeted you and said hi to you on the way in, right? Yeah, they, they do a good job. I'm not saying that. So I say no offense to that, right? Because some of you are able to make six figures a year simply because your ability to schmooze, greet, and feel comfortable and make anybody feel at home, even if they shouldn't feel at home, in your car, in your dealership, or in your place, right? I mean, there's some slick folks in this church. <laughs> there are. Like, you know, I meet somebody and I, and I say awkward things all the time. It's just, I've just never really had that great ability. But some of you all are just, you know, I'm talking about, just don't think of anybody in particular, just you, probably somebody in your, in, in, your, in your past, you know, they're just smooth, man. There's other people that just make you feel at home the second you meet them. Right? You feel like you talk to him for five minutes, you feel like you've known him forever. Right? There's a lot of y'all in this church. But you're not serving in first impressions. You should be. I dare say that's why God brought you here. Because we need to get them out and you in. No offense, y'all. Um, <laughs> you'd be phenomenal at it. But the ones who God has used to change the lives of hundreds and thousands of people in this community are the very folks who are out there because they're willing. They're willing to come in early, long before you, some of you all even get up, they're in here making coffee, they're buying stuff during the week, they're coming here getting everything set up for you. So when you walk in, the parking lot's laid out so you have a place to park. So when you come up, there's hot coffee and some sort of snacks, refreshments with everything we've had to do with the pandemic and change all that stuff around. You know, all that stuff's all laid out. On top of that, there's other people who've come in here and they've sanitized the rooms and sanitized the toys so that your kids can come in and mess them all up. <laughs> and there's some of you in here who are far better working with kids than the folks who are in there. It's just that they're willing. And because they're willing... God is using them to do amazing things in the lives of those kids. And I hear these, you know, I, I hear these stories of parents that come out and say, I didn't want to come today, but they wouldn't let me. <laughs> it's like the dog who comes in begging to go out. The kid's like, can we go to church? Can we go to church? How do you say no to that, right? I also know I'm not the smartest in the room. I'm not the best communicator in the room. Uh, we've had people who have won awards for public speaking come to our church, who get flown all around the world to do public speaking here at our church. Some of you all lead people and give presentations to thousands in your job. So why am I up here? Because I was willing to go to school and learn all this stuff and apply it, just because I was willing. And I know I'm always going to be on the front lines of whatever God is doing in this world, not because I'm the most talented, not because I'm the holiest, not because I'm the brightest, 
but I don't ever want there to be somebody who's more willing than me. I want to be that one who says, God, wherever you want me, I'll go. There's not a job in a church I haven't done. From folding the bulletins to picking up the donuts, senior adult ladies, babies, nursery, pre-K, middle school, college age, singles, and worst of all, I've done it. I've worked junior high ministry. <laughs> I have. I did that. I did that. I took middle school boys at a retreat and then worked with them all summer. <sighs> Good on you, Micah. Is it because I was the best at all those things? Yeah, teaching a senior adult women's Bible study, John 16. <laughs> Look it up sometime and picture me at 22 years old trying to give that metaphor to some 75 to 80-year-old women. You'll read it later and you'll laugh. Definitely not the most skilled. There was just nobody else to teach it that morning. I was willing. We have all kinds of opportunities for you to serve and have an eternal impact on the people who come into this building. You just have to be willing. You just have to be willing. Now, you do also have to have some skills, too. <laughs> just because you're willing to sing up here doesn't mean you're going to sing up here. <laughs> I'm a drummer. Hey, I don't need praise team input right now. Most of y'all don't know, I am the original drummer at Essential Church. If you look back into the old videos of us doing parades, if you look back into the old videos when we were back in the school, I was behind that cage over there, right? Now, I haven't been behind that cage <laughs> in over 10 years, and it's not because I'm not willing. I ask every time, April doesn't have anybody on the schedule. <laughs> I try to do it for Sunday morning. I've tried it for youth on Sunday night. I've tried to get in at CR. I've tried to get in at the beach. I've tried to get in for everything. But I gotta confess, I'm not skilled enough. So I do other things. <laughs> I do other things. When we had our Celebrate Recovery anniversary this past week, I took out the trash. Why? Because I'm the best darn custodial engineer this church ever seen. <laughs> no, it needed to go out and I was willing. That's why. That's why I took out the trash. And it met a need. And there were people there who needed to throw something away, and I was able to meet that need. And people didn't come in and see sloppy trash all over the ground and have a bad first impression. Because a lot of people went to CR for the first time. And you know the ones who went to CR for the first time this past week? Um, because we all got our new shirts on. Um, so if you couldn't read that fast, it just says the first step uh, to finding your miracle. Miracle. It's coming to CR. Um, and so since everybody, you know, who doesn't normally come to CR came this past week, you know, that's why I'm calling you all out. Uh, many of you all need to take that first step this year and be willing to do that. Uh, and, it, and that ministry happens because it's a coalition of the willing. If God's brought you here, he's looking at you saying you are essential. 
Yeah, you're a murderer, and yeah, you're an adulterer, but you're saved, and you're his child. But you're also essential to what God is doing in this world to bring people into relationship with him. Would you know as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you for your calling that you place not just on my life, but on every person's life in this room. Father, may we look to you and realize that we've not been disqualified because of our past or because of our mistakes. We're not disqualified, Father, because of our shortcomings. If you've brought us here, Father, we have an essential role to play. And you have given us skills. The question, Father, is are we willing? Are we willing to take out the trash? Or to work with middle schoolers? Are we willing just to serve you? So that just like with the tabernacle, there can be a place where people can come to have a relationship with you. Father, move our hearts to the place of willingness, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.